Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Hello and welcome to the Game Theory Podcast. I'm your host, Sam Vecini. We are presented by The Athletic. Today on the show, Mark Schindler is in the building. We're going to dive deep into breakout players in the NBA from the first month of the season. I'm so excited to talk about this because Mark and I, we love talking about guys that have improved their game in some way. We love talking positively about basketball. Uh, I think that that's, that's why I see like a kindred spirit in Mark. Like I just fucking love talking about guys that have gotten better and guys that have just improved in some way. Uh, Mark, what's going on, man? Ah, dude, I feel like everything at the same time. Georgetown uh, won a non-conference game against a decent mid-major team in LaSalle. So that was an experience after a 25-point lead evaporated. So that was, uh, I had a nice little heart attack on uh, on Sunday watching that. But they won, so that that puts off my my despair for for one day. Um, I'm in Alabama now. Uh, Unfortunately, the Tide do not play basketball while I'm down here. At least in Alabama, I should say. But I'm yeah. looking forward to uh, to Thanksgiving. Things are good, man. Like you mentioned, there's just there's so much good stuff going on in basketball. I I tweeted out a thread the other day with one positive thing about every team, um, because there's something positive with every team. Sometimes I do. I have rose colored glasses at times, for sure. Do I care? <laughs> no. <laughs> I like yeah. basketball. <laughs> that works for me. That's how I feel. I love basketball. I, and look, yeah. sometimes we're going to have to talk about the negative stuff within basketball. And once we get to the playoffs, so much of it is matchup dependent that we're going to have to talk about like, oh, shit, like, you know, this guy can't guard. This guy can't do this. It's early in the season. Everything is hopeful. On top of that, the teams at the bottom of the league have – actually exceeded expectations outside of the Rockets for the most part and the Pistons, I guess. Mm -hmm. So why wouldn't you be positive about this? Like, I I don't know why you wouldn't be positive about the product that's been on the court so far. As we've talked about previously, I think that this is the best start to an NBA season that I can remember from an on-court perspective. Uh, Every team has looked so good, has looked so fun uh, in some interesting way, shape, or form that I just can't, I can't get past it, man. Like even with college basketball starting and I've watched a lot of college basketball, Same. like <clears throat> Hollinger made fun of me on the internet last night. Cause he saw that I had Drake and Wyoming queued up on synergy and rise, man. Come on. Like- Tucker DeVries, baby. He's just out here hitting movement jumpers, hitting shots off of DHOs. I love him. Uh, I think he might be a first round pick. So like, This is where I'm at. I'm diving deep into basketball across all the levels, but today we're going to focus on the NBA. So I picked three breakout players. 
Mark picked three breakout players. There's not really a rhyme or a reason for this. We're not picking like the six biggest breakouts of the 2022-23 NBA season so far. Uh, we're picking six guys that we think have broken out that have been fun in some interesting way, shape, or form. Uh, and that we're just super excited to talk about at the end of the day. That, that was really the only like criteria here, right? Mark, like we wanted to find guys that have improved and that we're excited to talk about. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think what's what I liked about this criteria was that it was very gray. So I feel like I can talk about 8 million different things, uh, which is, as you know, that's, that's what we like doing. So I'm excited, man. How do you want to start this off? Okay. Let's start with. You know what? Let's just go on the high end, right? I'll start and kick it off with Desmond Bain, right? Because I think Desmond Bain has been phenomenal and has taken yet another leap. And this is something that I've talked about previously. And I know Desmond is out with a sprain, I think, of his toe. Mm -hmm. I think he's going to miss like a couple of weeks here. But Desmond Bain has played 12 games this season. He's averaging 25 points a night. He's shooting... 46.5% from the field, 45% from three, 91% from the line. And by the way, like these are numbers that are not out of the norm for him. He's shooting 46% from the field. He shot 46% from the field last year. He's shooting 45% from three. He shot 44% from three last year. He shot 90% from the foul line last year. I guess you could say that it's on a bit of a different volume. He is taking more pull-up jumpers, but... He's taking more pull-up jumpers. Uh, He started doing that late last season as well. So I just look at what Desmond can do, and it's the way that the handle has improved. It's the way that his secondary ball handling instincts have improved, his decision on when to go for his shot and when to try and attack has improved. Everything across the board with Desmond Bain, and this is a guy that you know I've talked about before, one of the most impressive human beings I've come across in the pre-draft process in terms of willingness to take constructive criticism from teams, from people like me, anyone that he could get any sort of feedback from. He was always willing to listen and wanted to learn. And I think that you can see that in the way that he has drastically improved his game Every single point of his career, this is a guy who came into the NBA as a senior, a four-year player in college, someone that you know is supposed to be closer to their ceiling. But anyone who met with Desmond and did their homework on him through the pre-draft process knew that he was going to keep getting better. It was just how high the ceiling was for him. And I think we all underrated his ceiling. And I say that as someone that had him in the top 20 pre-draft. Like, I love Desmond pre-draft. And I still drastically underrated what his ceiling was based on his start to the season. Mark, what have you liked about Desmond Bain thus far? Uh, I mean, I think the biggest thing for me is just the continued development of his ability to create his own shot, um, which sounds like very basic. But I mean, just the sheer jump in unassisted numbers has been really impressive this year. Um I tweeted this out earlier this season, but like legitimately over the first two or three weeks, I think he had like one bad game in the first three. And then after that, he just kind of popped off like, like a madman in terms of his ability to like, he like, like you mentioned with his handle tightening up, he's so strong on his drives. And especially to like, he's one of the guys where um, 
obviously different type of player, but like it's the same thing with like, okay, if Harrison Barnes catches and goes from the slot, he's just so strong and has enough yep. handle and fluidity, you can't really do anything about it. And that's where it is with, with Desmond right now. Um, and the handle has gotten to a point now where he's capable of running some primary actions and it'd be okay, especially if it's early offense stuff. Um, and I mean, he's just comfortable enough with his shot prep to kind of get what he wants, how he wants, when he wants. He has a lot of counters um, in his jumper uh, and even just getting downhill to the rim. And uh, he, like he legitimately has become a very difficult to guard player, not just a difficult to guard off ball player, player. Like this is a you need an extremely versatile defender who has strength, has quickness, has the ability to stay focused off the ball like that's. You're narrowing the amount of guys who can actually stop what he does. And I think that's what, to me, makes him so much better. Like, it was it was more so, like, last year. Like, it, okay, obviously running him off the line, I think, was still not an awesome thing to do because he was capable of getting downhill. But um, now it's to such a degree where it's like, I don't really know how you guard him entirely in a way that you feel great about it, I should say, especially considering you're devoting so much time and effort to John Moran as well. I think that the big thing with Desmond is just that it's really, really hard to have to run him off the line and then simultaneously deal with his strength. So like the best guys to guard him with are like rangy, longer players who are strong like that that's almost what you need, right? You need a guy that can get a contest on the shot as well as can physically load up against him. And there just aren't many guys who can do that. Like that's yep. the thing. He's actually like a very difficult player to deal with now that he can put the ball on the deck, now that he can physically just kind of manage his own ability as a driver. Like he's always been able to play through contact, but the footwork has really improved. Like he can Euro step around guys now. Like he's never been the most fluid athlete through his hips, right? Like he's, mm-hmm. you know, you, you and I will call people boxy sometimes in terms of, you know, some players, they just struggle to like flip their hips when they're handling the ball. Like you see it with Euro steps. You see it when guys try to uh, maneuver around the basket, right? I think he's actually really improved there. I think he's kind of opened up his flexibility a little bit, but more than that, it's just the footwork. Every single foot, he never takes a step out of place, I feel like. Uh, it's it's just the attention to detail, I think, that stands out with Desmond Bain. He knows exactly how to run off of every single screen every single time to put himself in the best possible position to shoot. He's obviously a threat to shoot basically within 30 feet, which is incredibly important to spacing. But obviously the bigger problem here is just like if you're dealing with Desmond Bain, you have to run him off the line or you're screwed. Or if you, you know, try, you have to be picture perfect on the closeout every single time, essentially. And on top of it, you're probably not guarding him with your best perimeter defender. You're probably guarding him with a wing defender. And he's just kind of able to run around screens. A lot of wing defenders are not great it managing running around screens a lot of the time in the way that he is effective at doing it. So he's just a fucking hard problem to solve. (laughs) Yeah, no, exactly. I mean, just to even like rattle off his numbers, like, so his rookie year, 71% of his twos were assisted and that's down to 34% now. So like he's pretty much have that, which is, I mean, that in and of itself is wildly impressive, but then the threes going from uh, only 17% of his, his threes were self-created last year. Now is it, Almost 40% of his threes are self-created. And it's effective. Like, it's not just 
the I'm testing the waters. It's very much like, okay, I'm comfortably doing this and then it's opening things up for me. And it's still not that he's taking like a million twos. Like his, he's taking more twos this year. But again, it's just more like his shooting is so good and he's able to get it off in so many ways that it just him having the game come to him the way that it has inside the arc. And that's without even mentioning, like he's getting the line almost five times a game right now. And that's yeah. a byproduct of the strength. Like he's a, he's a tremendous young player, man. I, I continue to, to really just enjoy watching his game. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I'm such an enormous fan of him. Uh, okay. We talked about Desmond for 10 minutes here. Do, do we think Desmond makes an all-star team? Uh, uh, I would have him this career? year. I think, uh, would you? I think, yeah, I think he'd be on this year. Um, he's been that good. Um, I'm just kind of like running I, through in my mind, like who I'd have, like, yeah. would you have him or Lowry Markinen? Oh, see, that's when you put it like that, um, has to be one of them. I mean, I think I would probably have Markinen over Bain right now. Um, and that's not just because of record, like Markinen has been awesome. Yeah. Um, and Markinen. So, so like, yeah. So like guards here, Let, let's just like run through. It'd be like Damian Lillard, Shea Gilgis, Alexander, Booker, Devin Booker, Steph. um, Definitely Stephen Curry. Uh, Are we calling Luca a guard? Maybe. So Luca yeah. Doncic, John ja Morant, you would have obviously. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I mean, just kind of like that—that's that, six right there, just in the backcourt. So that's where you start getting complicated. So like yeah. Desmond has to be a wild card in that case, which means he's going up against guys like Lowry. He's going up against guys like. Um, you know, Paul Fox. George. We didn't even mention Fox. Yeah, Fox De'Aaron Fox. Um, yeah, goodness. I mean, De'Aaron Fox would almost have to be an All Star this year, right? Yeah. Oh, without so, question. Um. Yeah. Shoot. Okay. Yeah. This makes it hard. He. Would, well. But point being, like, he would be. He's on the precipice for me. Like, I think he. He's. He's. Yeah. He's in consideration. Um. Jesus Christ, the league is so good this year, man. That's. I think that's the, the best takeaway right there. League is very fun. Um, it's. It's the deepest it's ever been. Talent-wise, this league is the deepest it has ever been. I can't remember. Like, we didn't even mention Chris Paul, and, like, Phoenix has still looked very good this year. Mm -hmm. Like, I'll be honest with you. Like, I don't really think there's a case for Chris Paul this season. And I know he's not shooting super well early in the year, but, like, he's still so integral to everything Phoenix does at the end of the day. So, like, yeah. I mean, that's how good this league is, that even though Chris Paul's having a down year and – you know, I think he still might be leading the league in assists, but like he doesn't even really have a case for this. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's uh, it is kind of wild. But watch Chris Paul have like he's gonna do the thing in January and February where he you know has like seventy two percent true shooting for, for twenty straight games and just goes absolutely crazy. But we will totally. see. No, I think that's dead on. Uh, okay, Mark, you're up. Who are you gonna take as your first well, breakout player? Speaking of Chris Paul's teammate, uh, somebody who, as much as Phoenix has struggled through injuries, especially Cam Johnson, um, which that has really sucked, and I can't, you know, I just hope that he's able to get back all right. Um, it's Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Bridges has really impressed me this year. I think even just looking at his counting stats, they haven't immensely improved, but I think this is one where in watching uh, how he's playing the game, it's been pretty clear that he's taken another step as a scorer. I think there are times where I still watch him. Like I wish that you would take even more shots because he, I, I I feel like there's even more on the table for him. But I, he, he has very clearly taken a step forward in, in that regard. Like much in the same way as we we're talking about Desmond, he's doing a lot more just attacking 
with his own handle in the half court. And I think that's been a ton. Like he yeah. was somebody who everybody, you know, anytime that you looked at, at Mikhail Bridges, you're pointing at the, the, the first four years, his self-created twos are about the same every year, like right around 25%. And now over 40% of his twos are unassisted. And again, it's not as simple as that, but he's taking more unassisted threes. Like he's just doing a lot more that is like, it's in, in the flow of the offense still, but he's actually taking more things that are going to be contested that are going to be um, not just like the, the awesome Academy shots. Like he's doing things legitimately that I don't think we saw him do as much last year. And it's been routinely this year. And especially even just looking like since cam has been out. So like last seven games, Almost 50 40 90. So 49 and a half, 40, 93, 17.6 boards, four assists. Um, and I think to me, like, do I think he's going to shoot 50 49 of the whole year? No, but I do think what he's doing is replicable. I believe in his touch. Um, even with him taking less threes, I like his process a lot better than what it has been. You know, like he's been much more proactive on drives and just trying to take advantage of mismatches. But again, not in like an ISO hunting way, but in a, okay, I'm going to use my length over you. And I think it's been really good. Like I've really loved that in Phoenix's offense. It's one of those things where a friend, like I, I'm, I don't know if you know, Steve. I'm sure, you know, like, you know, who Steve Jones jr. Is, but like he always mentions yeah. on the dunker spot, like um, you don't want to see injuries, but in some ways teams find something through it. And to me, I feel like as much as it has sucked seeing Cam out, like I had questions earlier this year where I was like, is Mikhail really going to take that next step? Like I think oh, prior to November, he'd taken double-digit shots just four times. And I was kind of questioning, like are we just ever going to see any kind of scoring aggression improvement from him? And we are now. And it, to me, it feels concrete and something that's going to continue. So I, I do feel good about that. I would I would consider him, even if it's a smaller breakout, it's been really nice to see. And it, it makes me rethink his ceiling a little bit more. Yeah, I've always kind of really liked Mikhail's ability as a ball handler, just in terms of knowing what his limits are on the court. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's someone who's always just done that really well. He knows he expands his game every year but doesn't go beyond the limits of that expansion every year, right? Like he doesn't really experiment on the court. He clearly experiments when he's training in the off season and getting better and improves that way. But he, when he plays for the Phoenix suns does not really go beyond his means. And it's been really interesting to watch that continued expansion where it never feels forced. Like that's the thing. Like before we were uh, recording, we were talking about Jeremy Sohan, like playing point guard in a game recently for the Spurs, right? Like that feels forced in terms of what they're trying to develop from him by getting him experience on the court. Mikhail Bridges has never really done that. He's never really expanded and like explored the studio space, right? And I'm all for teams like the Spurs doing that with guys like Jeremy Sohan, but since Mikhail has been there over the course of the last three years, at the very least, since he's like really broken out, uh, he's never really gotten that opportunity because they've been really good. So the thing that really stands out to me, you kind of mentioned it previously is just, he's so under control attacking closeouts. Now, every single decision seems right. Every single thing that he does he knows exactly like the weight of the guy that's coming out on him, like how far he is on his toes. If it's too strong, if it's too short, he makes the right decision on that closeout 
every single time it feels like be it just the relocation dribble into the middle stop and fire from 18 feet or you know take two dribbles and like take a little jump stop i feel like i've seen him take like a couple of random like jump stoppy floater kind of shots this year Mm -hmm. uh you know, I'm like trying to pull up that number now to see if I'm like losing my mind. Um, yeah, he's taken 10 runners this year. So I have seen that. Um, but like he never even really used to do that. Right. It, it, it's just the overall quiet expansion of his game that still fits as for my money, maybe the best role player uh, in terms of like long term viability in the NBA. Uh, his ability to defend to make threes he fits on every single roster in the league and he unlocks so so much for the phoenix suns just by his sheer presence yeah no exactly i I mean you took the words right out of my mouth man he's been he's been really fun this phoenix team is still weird like just to be blunt deandre ayton has been very rough for me this year the defense has taken such a sizable step back yeah um and to one hand i get it like it's a lot of weirdness with that but um, there are some good things going on in Phoenix still, even with with a lot of that going on. And shout out to campaign too. Yeah. Uh, that's it's been fun. And campaign scored and, twenty in four of his last five. So, yeah. And then also the the other the other thing I want to point out with Mikhail is I don't know if you mentioned the passing, did you? Uh briefly. Like it's yeah. It, yeah. I was. I think he's been that part of that attacking closeouts thing has been that he's been really really good as a passer off of those like he has been much more poised and patient once he gets into the mid-range and is doing a much better job of reading where the scramble help is coming from and then making dangerous passes like his career high in assists coming into the season was 2.3 per game last season and right now he's averaging three and a half assists per game and a lot of those are just coming off of i'm gonna stop i'm gonna make the right read in the mid-range after someone comes out too heavy on me on a closeout Mm -hmm. and I'm just going to make the right read. And that is such a damaging, damaging skill to have for a role player that is ostensibly like a floor spacer within their offense. Yeah. No, 100% man. So, okay. I will go next. Now we mentioned this guy earlier and I do just want to bring up Lowry Markinen. And I actually want to give you the floor first because I think that you brought up a really, really good point with Lowry recently on Twitter in terms of why you think he's been as successful as he's been this season in terms of just comfort level in the mid-range. So, I, you know, I know this is my guy, but I'm going to give you the floor because I thought your point was actually really, really good. Yeah, so first of all, I appreciate that. Um, second of all, yeah, to me, like – What's always been kind of a conundrum with Lowry is even though he's seven feet tall, he's never felt seven feet tall on court. Like every time mm. you watch him play, like it's always been like this guy. Yes, he's big. He's tall, but it, you never feel it. And I think I felt this so much watching the Clippers play yesterday on both ends. Like I think he, he started to really find this last year, but now you really saw it start to happen with Finland in a Eurobasket. Um, and now like it's really popping in the league and it's just the overall control. Like I think it's easy to look at and be like, well, he's really creating separation now in a way that I don't think he ever did. Um, his handle's tighter. He's honestly like, he's more spry on the court. Um, I'd be interested to know what his overall like off season training was and, and how he tried to refine his body. Um, but it's just the control inside the arc. Like he's, it feels like he gets the most out of extensions. It feels like he gets the most out of his length and just, um, 
Like his footwork is tighter. It doesn't feel like he's playing down in size anymore. Um, and I think that plays out very cleanly in, in what his actual two-point percentages are. Like he went from being a guy who his first two years didn't even shoot 50% on twos, uh, really improved the last couple of years. But this year, he's at 64% on twos on almost 10 a game. And that, to me, it doesn't feel fluky because of, like, I think, will that percentage come down slightly? It might. But to me, a lot of it's he's been so aggressive attacking the glass in a way that I never used to feel from him. Like he always used to be somebody who it felt like he was um, and part of it could be scheme. But like one of the things I've mentioned this conversation before, actually, on here, but like I talked to John Quill Jones about spacing one time and like the the difficulty of like trying to um, figure out how to be aggressive and a dominant interior force while also being a spacer. And I think to me, Lowry's kind of finding that balance this year. And almost like obviously tilting more towards like really figuring out how to attack the glass and um, and find meaningful ways to imprint his size on the game. And that's just never something that I never felt that from him in 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 prior yeah. seasons. Um, so to me, like has like a lot of what feels um, like a, a, where I feel a lot of his scoring bursts is coming from. Like yes, the self creative stuff is happening, but so many of his his his. His, his baskets that have led to the increase in points per game are out of doing the, the easy things, like finding the garbage baskets, finding putbacks, finding ways to, to cut and be active without the ball. And um, it's just been very fun to watch, man. I've absolutely loved this season. So, yeah, it's, it's interesting. I do think that he has gotten stronger, I guess I would say. Like, it feels like he has gotten – it doesn't look like he's put on weight, but it feels like he accepts contact and contact yep. and absorbs contact better. Here's the thing. Like, he was never – coming up, like, in Finland and in Arizona, he was never just, like, a pure floor spacer. He was always actually, like, a mid-post, like, shooter more than mm-hmm. anything. Like, he would catch the ball, you know – 14 feet from the basket pump fake and try to drive or like most of the time you try and rise up and shoot. And he's always been like a really, really good contested shot maker. And he has never gotten that opportunity to really do that in the NBA in part, because look at the situations he was in. He was in Chicago to start his career and the early Chicago run was kind of a disaster. That was the, um, Fred Hoiberg gets fired and then Jim Boylan takes over and Jim Boylan's going to develop this bench, baby. Oh yeah. He's going to develop this bench. He has 15 guys to develop. He can't prioritize Wendell Carter. He can't prioritize Lowry Markinen. He needs to develop all 15 guys on this roster. Denzel Valentine is going to be the one. <laughs> oh my God. Jim Boylan. Uh, imagine, imagine the uncle you're going to see at Thanksgiving that has, some questionable takes. That was basically who was running the Chicago Bulls for two years, I guess that was, before Billy Donovan took over. But then he goes to Cleveland, and in Cleveland, he was just a floor spacer because they had him play in the three, and they desperately needed the floor spacing, right? And he played the four from time to time when they took Jared Allen and Evan Mobley off the court, and he defended fours for the most part. Evan slid, slid out and did a lot of the work uh, defending away from the basket to get Lowry out of those positions. But again, like was resigned to being a floor spacer. I think that this time in Utah, and we should also point to his time at Eurobasket this past year, where he was everything for a Finland team that really surprised basically on his back because he was phenomenal 
during that tournament. And it was a lot of similar things to what he's done so far this season for Utah, where he'd catch the ball in the mid post, pump fake, shoot over the top, take a ton of tough contested shots. Lowry can do this stuff. Like that that's the thing that I think has gotten lost and because he may not have been strong enough early in his career to do it. Mm-hmm. And because his career has been kind of, you know, it's been a weird career. Party. It, well, it's been stop and starty with injuries. Like he's consistently missed, you know, somewhere between 20 and 30 games uh, every season. And he's never really been able to build up that momentum and thus like become an integral part of a team's offense. If you don't know if he's going to be like in and out of the lineup here and there in Utah, they just don't have another reason not to give him the ball and they've given them the ball, the ball, and he's been incredibly effective so far. So I, I, I have really, really enjoyed what Lowry has done this season. And I think in large part, it's just due almost to like getting back to what he's always been good at, kind of. Um, Like right now, if you look at his part of this is I think that he is shooting somewhat in like unsustainably from the mid range. He's shooting 55% from three to 10 feet. He's shooting 66% from 10 to 16 and he's shooting 54% from 16 to the three point line. And like those probably won't hold, especially given that a lot of those are really contested shots that he's shooting Mm -hmm. over the top. Um, And look like his, his volume on a lot of these shots is like a little bit higher than what you would think. He's taken more mid range shots than he has three pointers this year. But you know what, if they're going to fall like this, he, do this yeah yeah and uh the one last thing i would want to hit on with him too what i just most enjoy about him is the scoring versatility like they use him part of it is utah's offense and like their offense has been a joy to watch early in the season but he kind of just can do everything to a degree and i think that's what makes him so interesting like you have to guard him as a popper. Um, you have to worry about yeah. him as a closeout threat. Now they're they're really creative in finding ways. Like they they love running like a lot of fake screening actions to try and set yeah. things up on the interior for him, which I love. Um, it, he's just yeah. I, I continuing to watch him develop the way that he has. Like it it kind of blows my mind a little bit considering where I was at with him in like you know 2019 compared to now. It's it's very fun to watch. Yeah, like it's it's definitely a lot of ghost and slip actions, right? Mm-hmm. And it's really, really interesting, like the lineups that they play him in where this is the first time where it's felt like fully positionless on some level offensively in, in the scheme he's been in, right? Because like the Boylan scheme was a fucking nightmare in Chicago. Uh, I will take shots at that dude forever because that guy – I don't know how that happened, how, how Chicago let that happen. Um, in Cleveland, he was purely a floor spacer, and that team played two bigs with him, and it, it had to be so defined, right? This is the first like free offensive scheme where they're playing five out with floor spacers or when Jared Vanderbilt's on the court, he's basically in the dunker spot trying to attack the offensive glass or screening and he's athletic enough to play away from the basket and handle the ball away from the basket enough. So it's really the first true like five out scheme, freedom of movement, try and get mismatch opportunities in a big way for him that he's played in. And I think that that as much as anything is why he's able to take advantage of that because he is a very real mismatch nightmare when he gets that opportunity. Yeah. 
No, without question. Um, Oh, I have another funky forward. If you are ready to, if you're ready to transition, let's take a quick commercial break and then we will transition. (laughs) We're talking about players securing the bag when they get drafted in June. I need to tell you about securing your internet connection with NordVPN. What is a VPN? It's a virtual private network. A VPN reroutes your traffic through a remote server, encrypting it in the process. This is going to hide your location from your ISP, hackers, and from other people looking to get your data. Everybody knows that I watch as many movies as I can. I think I've probably watched like 40 or 50 this year already. Some movies are blocked in Australia. It's really hard for me to watch them. Uh, For instance, uh, anybody who's tried to get their hands on Godzilla minus one recently knows that it's basically only available in Japan and you need a VPN if you want to go to like Amazon prime or something to be able to watch it. So when I'm blocked from watching a movie in Australia, I just queue up my VPN. I change my location and it unlocks a category of movies from all of my favorite streaming services. As somebody who's always on the go, connecting to public Wi-Fi is a necessity, but it's also just a goldmine for hackers. That's where Nord comes in, creating a secure tunnel for my data to travel through away from prying guys. There are other benefits to Nord as well. Your browsing history is yours and yours alone. Your virtual location is masked from those who seek to track your every move. It's like having a force field around your online identity. NordVPN also goes the extra mile with threat protection. Malware, trackers, dodgy ads, they're all going to get blocked. It's like having a shot blocking big around your devices 24-7. Game Theory is offering an exclusive deal for NordVPN. You're going to get four extra months and up to 75% off subscriptions. Just head to nordvpn.com slash game theory, G-A-M-E-T-H-E-O-R-Y to claim your account. Plus, with Nord's 30-day money-back guarantee, you've got nothing to lose and everything to gain. Go to nordvpn.com slash game theory to claim your account. nordvpn.com slash game theory. Guys, I can't emphasize enough uh, how much I use Nord every day of my life. Uh, Nord is a fantastic sponsor for us. So go support Nord. And it's a great product. So nordvpn.com slash game theory. Okay, Mark, we're back. You transitioned so well <laughs> into that, but I had to take a quick commercial break. Give me the funky forward that you wanted to talk about. Well, there are multiple that I need to talk about, but I think the first one I want to talk about is somebody who I actually just wrote about um, over my Patreon. And that's PJ Washington. And I think this is a way where you have to think of it more in terms of like, um, you can look at what his numbers are right now. And obviously like raw scoring and everything's up. Usage is up. Um, efficiency has not been there. I think that's one thing like, yes, you have to note that and be cognizant of it. But more importantly, the coaching staff has actually put a modicum of trust in him to do things. And that speaks kind of volumes to me considering like, there's a guy who went like, I was so interested in PJ when he first blew up uh, his rookie year. Well, like what I think, didn't he hit, he hit like seven threes. And I think his first NBA game 
And everybody was like, whoa, <laughs> you know, what, what is this? What is happening? Because he didn't really take a lot of threes in Kentucky. Um, and, like, he, he's just a guy who I've always, like, I feel people have always kind of been, like, waiting on, like, what was, is, when is PJ going to break out? And last year, like, quietly, like, I, I still think PJ had a nice year, but he got extremely pushed down the totem pole in what they were doing last year. And I'm not saying that's right or wrong, but more importantly, like, that's changed this year. And it's looked, it's, I I would say it's less about it's looked good and more it's looked encouraging. Um, Like the idea that he could carry some more usage, that he can do more with the ball in his hands. I think his handle is tightened up a little bit more. Um, He's getting actual opportunities to, to run secondary pick and rolls, to run more DHOs. They love running like Terry Rozier off of a ghost screen and letting PJ make a decision to either drive, shoot, or pass. And he's a good decision maker. He's a good passer. And I think now we're seeing his drives are up twice what they were last year. Um, He's still a below the rim finisher for the most part, which is always going to be a thing for him. But he has kind of decent touch on floaters, which I think is something he's experimenting with and finding more of. Um, He he can get into his strength-based game a little bit, which I think as the handle comes along a little bit more, that's stuff you want to see from him. But overall, like the game against the Cavs that they had was, I thought, one of the best games I've seen from him as an offensive player in the NBA in terms of what his full utility can be. He attacked closeouts. He hit big shots. Um, he was really good just continuing to move the flow of the offense. And to me, that's what I see with with him. Like, It's not that he has to be a star, but I think there's just more to him than just being a screen and roll guy. Like, I think there's more where he can really put the ball on the floor and make things happen. Even if it's not always going to be super efficient scoring off drives, he's a, he's a really good passer for his size. Um, so I've been very encouraged by him and, and what he's starting to show and, and just getting the opportunity to do it. Even though Charlotte has been kind of a mess, like it's worth noting LaMelo has played three games. So I think you do give like a little bit of leeway to, to what the efficiency has been for everybody. Um, but I, I've really enjoyed the P.J. Washington experience this year. Yeah, so I think that this is a prime example of how stats don't always tell the story with a breakout. Because if you look at P.J. Washington's numbers, the counting stats are up, right? Like he's averaging 16 points a game. Mm -hmm. The assist numbers are down. The rebounding numbers are down. Um, He's shooting 10% worse from two-point range, which is surely a function of... Well, I'll explain what it's a function of in a second here. And then the three-point numbers are down. He's shooting 32% as opposed to 37%. But Mark's right. He is tasked with so much more in terms of creating off the bounce, in terms of uh, being able to run specific actions as opposed to like being the secondary cog in some of these actions or being the floor spacer in some of these actions. I'm going to pull up his synergy profile in a second here, but like I would imagine that so many more of his shots are contested this year because he's just being asked to do totally different things in such a real way Mm. that you can't really go by the numbers when you're asking a young player to expand his repertoire in the way that PJ Washington is being asked to expand his repertoire, largely due to circumstance, right? Like I'm still a pretty firm believer that, PJ Washington's best role is going to be as like a sixth man on a great team, not just like a good team, but on like a genuine title contender, a guy that can come in, slide down, play the five, give you some switchability, can play the four next to a big man, um, can give you all sorts of lineup versatility, can allow you to play freedom, uh, a very free offensive system while also playing a switchable defensive unit or playing a a more 
normal defensive unit. Uh, that's kind of like the benefit of what PJ Washington can do. But this year where he's being tasked with more and being asked to expand the studio space uh, in a way that like, you know, someone like Mikhail Bridges has just organically done over the course of like a three-year period, whereas PJ is just getting it this year. I think these are invaluable reps for him as he develops into being a decision maker or, or a guy that's going to have to make quick decisions in the playoffs for mm-hmm. a good team at some point, be it in Charlotte or be it somewhere else. Cause he's a restricted free agent this summer. Yeah, no, I think you bring up a lot of great points. Like a, a, a lot, like he, he's a good shooter. I think a lot's going to depend on, uh, you know, like one of the biggest drops in his efficiency right now is he is shot catch and shoot threes at like the worst rate of his career. And I expect that to change. Like, and I think part of that is LaMelo being out um, just considering like you're probably getting worse looks if you don't have LaMelo passing you open. Um, he's shooting before last game, he was shooting below 31% on catch and shoot threes. And he's never shot worse than 38% on catch and shoot threes in his career per NBA stats. He actually shot pretty well on pull-ups last year. And I think I'm interested to see, you know, what he can do with that. Um, just by virtue of running pick and rolls, like he's going to have those opportunities. Um, I think I'm more interested to see how does he grow as a movement shooter? Cause I think that's kind of the next stage for him, in my opinion. Um, you know, finding more ability to, to do things off of, you know, maybe he's able to shoot coming off screens more instead of just doing some of the stuff lifting, um, and being stationary. But regardless, like you mentioned, I think even with the assist numbers being down, like this is the most encouraged I've been by him as a passer off live dribble. Um, so. Yeah, I, I think it's it's just fun to like kind of compare and look at guys who are you can very quantitatively see the leap and other ways it's it's harder to see as well. So here's a um, trivia question for you, Mark. Ooh, I like trivia. How many pull up jumpers do you think PJ Washington has taken this year in 18 games that they've played so far? So I know through 17 games, he'd taken 32 um it's got to be what like 34 35 now so the synergy has it at 44 in terms okay, of dribble wow. jumpers um how many do you think he took in 65 games last season uh i think it was right around 30 yeah 39 he yeah. has taken five more pull-up jumpers this season in 18 games than he did all of last season uh and that was after his game expanded a little bit last season, even more so than what it was previously. So he's getting to do a lot more. The shot quality here is much, much, much more difficult than it has been Mm. previously for PJ Washington. So that's why you see the numbers in terms of efficiency tanking. He's just being asked to do way more. And I hope that people recognize that. Like we now have a sample of him, on ostensibly like an okay team last year with a 59% true shooting percentage where he could knock down shots and could play his role. We're also getting a chance this year to see him do different things, explore the game a little bit more. And yeah, his efficiency has gone down. It's 53% true shooting percentage, but it's all like, it's for good reasons, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. No, that's a great way to put it. Um, He's like, not to keep going, but he's like the kind of guy that I just like, I think I just continue to be most fascinated by like the guys who are combo forwardy. Um, like he, to me, obviously, again, not the same, same prospect, but like same idea of like, he's like a combo forward version of Paul Millsap to me, like the same idea of like 
kind of able to do a lot of different things. What thing will iron out? And I really do believe in the shot. Like I, I think he has pretty fantastic touch. And it's like if you can, if the if the pull up jumper becomes viable, that completely changes his tra- trajectory for me. Um, so that's yeah. why it's so interesting to watch what happens this season. Yeah, no, I agree. Okay, let's go to my third guy. We are now talking Bull Bull. Uh, Bull Bull has completely changed the trajectory of his career at this point. He's averaging 13 points and eight rebounds. Uh, if you look over the course of the last few games, particularly where like Paulo Bancaro has been out and they've really expanded his role a little bit over the course of the last nine games, he's averaged 16 points, nine rebounds with 1.2 blocks per game. Uh, he's shooting, from three in that time, 57% from the field. Look, it's just a funky skill set on some level, right? Like he is seven foot tall. He can handle the ball. He can shoot it from distance. He can kind of block shots a little bit inside. Although I'm, we'll talk about the defense here in a minute. Uh, This is a guy though, that coming into this season, if you add all three of his previous seasons in terms of points per game, they still don't equal the 13.1 that he's averaging. He's undeniably broken out in a substantial way uh, and has gotten a real chance to thrive in Orlando uh, in this funky scheme that has allowed bigs to be able to handle the ball and uh, be able to create on their own. And, you know, frankly, I don't know how much he would thrive in another position, but in Orlando, he has truly thrived, and I've really enjoyed watching him get the opportunity to expand and showcase the unique skill set that he's capable of. Yeah, he. Uh, if I told you last year that Bull Bull would have a five-year stretch where he averaged 17 and 10 on pretty good efficiency, you'd probably like stare at me cross-eyed. Uh, that's happened this year. Um, that's, that's his last five games right now. Uh, yeah, I think... I mean, the biggest thing for me is I'm just happy that he's healthy and actually getting to play because that was, I mean, it's been the problem the last couple of years. Like it's been health, but all it feels like anytime there was an opportunity, like his health became an issue. Um, and then he, I mean, clearly I, he just was not an NBA player the last couple of years. If we're being frank, no. like I think when he got opportunities, it was an issue. Um, I, I don't want to sound harsh and say that we need to pump the brakes, but I do think like, like you mentioned, I think it's important to bring this up with like a certain lens. Uh, the defense has been like, even though he's blocking shots, I think he's been a really fun way of like looking at how interesting defense can play when you have the kind of length and mobility that that Orlando has. Um, because to me, like I don't think that he's been a particularly good defender. Um, like I think the awareness. No, no, I I think yeah. he's been pretty bad. Like, yeah, no, I knew you were going to agree with defense. me. Like I, I like yeah. I think the blocks have been nice. He can do some good stuff in recovery. He had a really sick chase down the other day. Um, but again, it's just like his mobility still is not awesome. He doesn't see things super well as they play out and develop. Um, but again, like just the being out there has been really nice. The offense is where like I legitimately think he has utility is as a just kind of hybrid what the fuck do you do to defend him type player. Um, a lot's going to depend on the shot for me because for me, the the shot is still like his release kind of takes a while to load up. Um, I don't think the shot is super uh, like variable right now. But when if he catches the ball and just does one dribble, perfect. 
Like, I think when, uh, like, like if he, if he catches the ball and just gets one, one dribble and he dunks, like that's, that's legit. Like there's been like a lot of his stuff has been so good attacking an already bent defense or running in transition or just being kind of a habit creator on offense, attacking the glass being, uh, he's just been kind of like we talked a little bit about with Lowry, like he's been fantastic at using his size and being out there and being like, I'm massive. I'm going to use my size and, and my length to, to score over you or, or even through you. And I think that is what's really stood out to me and, and been impressive. Um, I will say though, when he more than one dribble and it like it, I think the best way that I describe this to people is um, if he has one dribble or less, it's the greatest play you've ever seen one dribble or more and it might be the worst play that's happened in the last 15 possessions like it's a lot what what happens off the dribble is just extremely unexpected but whatever is going to happen and i think trying to figure that out is still going to be interesting but um right again just him being out there has been tremendous to see yeah like i don't mean to like totally hedge and like undersell everything it's just like i do worry about i saw somebody say like like a really big account yesterday was running with well, what does Wemby do that Bull Bull can? I was like, let's chill a little bit here. No, that's insane. Yeah. Like that is genuinely like crazy pants. Uh, Wembenyama can create off the bounce in like real tangible ways in terms of like breaking down players off the dribble, creating his shot that way, and then finishing. Bull Bull, like Mark said, is best attacking a bent defense, dribbling once, getting into like that little floater range. I think that's been like the coolest thing I've seen him do this year is just that, you know, catches the ball, pump fakes, attacks a closeout, extends that dribble out in such a substantial way because he's so long. And it takes him one dribble to get to like within five feet, seven feet of the rim, and then can just take that little pop floater shot that he has, which is really, really like – stuff that you don't see seven footers do just point blank. Right. Like that is, that is a weird skill set. Like, let's just be real about that. And I think that everything he does, it's almost like proto Wemby without being nearly as effective because he's just not the ball handler and nowhere near the defender that Vic is like, just not even in the same ballpark. That's the difference between the two. And whereas bowl is more of like a, forward slash wing when Benyama is like a true center that can like create all these shots, right? Yeah. Cause of the defensive ability. Um, I don't know how scalable bowl is to like a winning situation yet. Uh, I do want to learn more about that, but for a guy that like was almost out of the NBA, like as of last year, undeniably he's taken an enormous leap. He's taken a bigger leap than anybody. This is like, you know, back when Devonte Graham was like almost out of the league and then jumped into being like the Hornets starting point guard and look great. Like this is, this is the biggest leap I've seen in a long time just to like becoming a real NBA player. Bull Bull's like undeniably a real NBA player and his ability to shoot. I think he genuinely does help your offense out there. He needs to improve his processing, the way he reads the game, the way he makes passing uh, decisions, and the way that he makes quick read opportunities. But like, there, I, I don't see any reason. Part of the problem with Bull Bull is, I guess, it, part of the problem with all of this is throughout the entirety of his career, going back to when he was 15 years old, it's always been this enormous hype train 
right? People refuse to accept him for what he is and try to like, because his game is so novel, expand into looking into the future of what he can be, or like just kind of frankly, like rate the wrong things improperly, like weight them the wrong way. Like the fact that he can dribble at seven foot tall is super cool. The fact that he blocks the occasional weak side shot is super cool. Um, Because he was like a top five prospect in his class. And because he emerged so quickly by being so tall, I think that, it threw the expectations game out of whack for bowl and it kind of causes people to not just accept what he is as opposed to what he as opposed to like what he was supposed to be, I guess maybe I I always have been a little bit lower on bowl, I guess. Like I had him like, I think in the forties pre-draft, uh, which is like, I had him like right around where he was taken. And I have no reason not to stand by that. Like he, you know, I, I rank players based off of what is their value going to be to the team that drafts them, not off of like long-term upside or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what is the value to the team that selects them? Uh, you know, for Denver, they didn't really get anything out of bowl bowl at the end of the day. So I feel pretty good with where I ranked him. You can't forget about the uh, the one starting lineup in the very first game of the bubble uh, during oh the bubble goodness. preseason when they start. What was it? Paul Millsap was at point guard. It was like, yeah, it, it was, was like, ridiculous. Yeah, that was that Paul was Millsap. A wild time. Paul Millsap was the smallest person in that starting lineup. It was yeah. like Bowl. It was Jokic. It was Millsap. It was Michael Porter, and it was someone else. I think it was Zeke Nashi um, too. Or no, was it? Was it? No, it wasn't Nashi yet. I don't think Nashi Zeke was, was in the NBA yet. Yeah, Nashi was drafted the next year, but it was somebody tall. Point. Point. B. Yeah. <laughs> It was hilarious. Yeah. But I say all this to say, like, this is a cool story for like a second round pick to have now emerged into this. Like, this is awesome. This, this is great. Like if you get it, anybody who goes in the second round, it's fucking hard to fight your way up to the NBA. It's hard to establish yourself into a position where you're averaging 13 points and eight rebounds and you're getting 20 plus minutes a night. It's a battle. It's a grind. You look at like what the hit rate is for second round picks, especially second round picks that go after pick 40. Mm-hmm. It is hard. We should take this bull bull story and just be excited about it. Yes. And take it on its merits for what it is. This is a guy that was taken in the second round that always had a lot of talent that is starting to really come through on that talent. And we should just be pumped about that for what it is in terms of him turning into a rotation player. And then we'll see where it goes from there. Like uh, this is a terrible team that he's playing on and let, let's see where he can land at the end of the season or land next season or land whenever he latches onto a good team or when Orlando is good. I, I think that that's more um, in line with the expectation I have for bowl and why I'm able to just be so excited about this, despite the fact that there are like real concerns. Like we're not, we're not denying that there are real concerns here, but just look at where he came from. Like he came from the second round, battled his way for three years into becoming an NBA player. Looks like an NBA player. Now that's a great story. Yeah, no, I'm in the same boat as you, man. It's been a, it's been very fun to watch. And just I, 
couldn't we'll have to do an entire pod on the hype train someday because i think that's a, there you said a lot of great things there the the hype train is someone who lives like in the draft and sees the way it affects players it drives me crazy yep because like honestly like i'm going to get like hate for saying what i just said about bull bull probably uh because i'm not saying he's a future all-star well hey at least uh, we didn't talk about kai soto on this pod <laughs> shout out kai soto yeah. um hey you know what like honestly kai has looked playable at times over here in the nbl as a very young player and this is a very tough league so shout out kai soto um mark let's You've derailed us. Let's go to this yes. next guy. <laughs> That's always my goal. Um, yeah, this is somebody who is no longer in the starting lineup. He's actually out with a foot injury right now for a little bit. I think he'll be back pretty soon if I saw it reporting correctly. But I just want to opine about Trey Murphy the third for a second. Um, this is a guy who – and we, we talked about Trey a couple weeks ago, if I remember correctly. And this is just somebody that I wish that I had – been higher on in the draft in the way that I thought about him. Um, like, where, somebody, where did you have him pre-draft? I had him in the first round still, but I had him like out of the, pretty clearly outside the lottery. I think I had him in like the mid twenties. I think I had uh, him at like fifteen, and yeah. I think I was low. Yeah, and like, I just he's the kind of guy who just makes me remember that things are not nearly as black and white as you think. Like I think so often people ask me, not that I'm like an expert, but I think people like ask me about like draft philosophy and stuff like that. I'm like, I don't know, man. I feel like I'm still learning every day, but Trey is one of the reasons why I feel like I'm learning every day because like I looked at Trey and I'm like, this guy is just so funky and weird. And like, I know that he's still like, he just grew into his body and he's still like trying to figure that out. And, but like now this year, like he's way more flexible. Um, The shooting, like I knew the shooting. Interesting. Was really good. In what way would you say he's more flexible? Because I've always thought that like he moves his hips and defends really well. Um, like in terms of like being able to stay in front of his guy and slide, right? Mm-hmm. Uh what would you say has gotten more flexible about him? I think his body is just less stiff than it was for me last year and even pre-draft. Like mm-hmm. I felt like he was somebody who like I even like as a movement shooter, I was a little bit like hesitant because I just I felt like he was such a stiff athlete and I didn't account enough for the fact that he just was growing. Like, I think that's the kind of thing that I underrated uh, completely. And I look at him now, like he's still somebody I would consider a relatively stiff athlete, but he's like, he's getting to the point where he's just such a, like he, he's a top 10 shooter in the NBA, like without question. I think I would say that um, like he is routinely spotting up from 29, 30 feet and just bending defenses. Like he's, uh, one of my favorite things this year has been watching teams just get obliterated, sending nail help to Brandon Ingram or CJ McCollum because Trey Murphy the third is in the opposite slot that is being helped off of standing at 30 feet. And like, he doesn't need to step into the shot. He just takes it. And um, he's gotten, uh, it's, it was more so in the early season, but like he was getting real secondary pick and roll reps, like because he's coming off of movement um, doing real things like that. Like the defense, I think he still needs to like, He's still raw on the defensive end, but there's like actual weak side rim protection. Like he sh- he can slide his feet. Um, like I think that there's real like I don't I don't want to like go crazy and say that he's going to be an all star someday, but I think there's real like potential um, potential ability for him to become somebody that you look back on in this draft is like where did this come from? Like this guy really just kind of popped, and 
like he has a good feel for the game. I think he can make some really quality reads um, already. Like again, like a lot's going to be figuring out how to be a pick and roll playmaker and ball handler because he's going to get those those reps as a shooter. Um, like he started doing some stuff snaking this year, like things that yeah. I just felt like I, I never frankly thought I was going to see from him in the NBA. Like he, he tried, he's the, during the stretch where he was, he was starting, he was getting up like a floater a game. And I think he has the touch to really make that work. Like, again, like it's, it's a funky archetype and he's a weird player. And I, I mean that in the most endearing way possible, but like, this is a guy who I think could take like 11 or 12, three pointers for 75 possessions and uh, just become somebody who is an awesome continuity offense player. Um, and I, again, like, I think th- to me, it's like, it, I feel like next year he's going to, he's going to take like another step forward and everyone's going to be like, Oh, he's breaking out. And I honestly, I think he's shown the stuff this year where if he was starting for a team, like he's doing really, really interesting things. Um, not that he hasn't been for new Orleans, but again, like I think it would be getting a lot more talk. Uh, in general, like he could very well finish 50, 49 this year. It's a 48, 43, uh, 95 right now. Um, I think he ends up getting a 50, 40, 90 season in his career, but um, yeah. So I, I had to just like uncork that. Cause I've been thinking about Tramor for third ton lately. No, I, I think it's really interesting. And I think you're right. This is a guy that I've always loved. I, I got so much hate last year from Pelicans fans that, when I ranked Trey Murphy ahead of Herb Jones on a redraft that I did at the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And they were like, wait, how can you have Trey Murphy ahead of Herb Jones? And I'm just like, just wait. Like <laughs> he's this good of a shooter. Now he's going to get better. Like, and he's a good defender. Now he's going to get better. Everything about him says that he's on this long-term trajectory at this point that should give you a lot of enthusiasm. He's a late bloomer physically he is six foot nine and he is a top 10 shooter in the NBA. Like I, I've, you know, one of the guys we're going to talk about as an honorable mention is Kevin Herter and Kevin Durant just talked about how he thinks Kevin Herter is doing like a clay Thompson leap right now. And I, Kevin Herter would have been the fourth guy on my list, to be honest, um, among guys that like we really wanted to talk about. I had and, a short list too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I think Trey Murphy is closer to clay. I think yeah. it's more he's going to be able to really do some crazy shit off of movement. The high release point is just such a weapon for him. And it's, it's such so an enormous too. weapon. Like and his, it's so his quick. Footwork, his footwork is awesome. It's really footwork good. is awesome. Like to me, th- that's the guy that's like the closest to Clay. Not to say that he's going to end up having like a Hall of Fame career like Clay Thompson undeniably is, but. That's the closest guy to me. Like you look at what Trey is already doing uh, in the NBA, just in terms of being as enormous he is, be, as he is being the shooter that he is. Uh, yeah, I, I love everything about Trey Murphy. This is like this is Mikhail Bridges all over again to me in terms of like guy that you can see from the jump is just going to be an utterly elite NBA player uh, in his role and would fit on any team in any circumstance and is going to make way more money than people think coming into the league because it's just that every single team needs this guy. Every single team needs this big floor spacer who can defend two through four and can do all sorts of different stuff while still growing into his body and actually like has guard skills because he grew up as a six foot three guard he has real guard skills. Like 
he can handle the ball. He can put the ball on the ground. He's still learning how high his handle is, I think, at times. Mm-hmm. Like, just dribbling higher, and sometimes he gets ripped because of it. But, yeah, man. And, and the other thing that's worth noting here, too, is, like, going from Rice to Virginia was absolutely the right thing for him. And I, I don't – like, I think it really, really helped him defensively in terms of, like, principles and learning what, how to use his body defensively and everything like that. It also, as we know – is limiting offensively in terms of scheme. Uh, they run you off of these curls, off of pin downs constantly. He doesn't really get a chance to handle the ball really ever. He's getting more of a chance to have that freedom offensively. And I think we're going to see more and more of that as his career goes on. This isn't a shot at Virginia. I think Virginia does an absolutely phenomenal job developing NBA players, as you can see by their long track record of developing NBA players. I'm just saying that I think that because their scheme is what their scheme is offensively, he didn't get a chance to show off as much of the skill as what he has offensively, which is what they should have done. Like it's what, you know, they should have done at the time, but we're going to see more and more from him in terms of being an on ball player uh, throughout the rest of his career. Definitely. Okay. I want to talk about Kevin Herter real quick. Yeah. Uh, I've always loved Kevin Herter. I think that it was – we've talked about this previously when we talked about Sacramento, I think, last week. Atlanta giving away Kevin Herter basically was an insane decision. Yeah, in a, I, in a salary tax dump, which was just it, ridiculous. Right. It was essentially a tax dump. And, like, he's averaging 17 points, three rebounds, three assists. He's a good secondary creator. He's a great – attacker of closeouts. You can run him off of second side ball screens. He's shooting 49.5% from three this season. I I will repeat, he is shooting 49.5% from three this season, and it doesn't feel like overly inflated. Everything Kevin Herter has done this year has been absolutely phenomenal. I am an enormous Kevin Herter fan. Yeah, um, he's... He like what what what's been so fun? Like we we mentioned off top. Like I, uh, I mean, De'Aaron Fox to me has been like a I can't like say top whatever, but like to, I mean, De'Aaron Fox has been a pretty clear All Star this year. He's taken the leap. Um, he's really doing a lot of things that you and I both want to see from him. But what's been the bread and butter of the Kings' offense has been the Sabonis Herder two man game. Like the Sabonis Herder two man game has been one of the more more wildly efficient and effective. Uh, plays and not even just plays because they do so much out of it which is what makes it fun like they run a ton of motion run a ton of handoffs doing tons of things with just ping-ponging the basketball um i mean pinballing the basketball that just works so well for herder like even though herder was fantastic for me in, in atlanta in his role and what he was asked to do like i think this is the kind of offense that you really want to see see him in that gets the most out of him like as good as he was in atlanta that offense has never been super motion based. Like it's never been a lot of movement. It's really like, okay, we're doing a ton of high ball screens because we have one of the best pick and roll playmakers in basketball. That made sense. But again, for what Kevin does and what Kevin's capable of, like this is the shit. Like I absolutely love it. And we're seeing more of him getting to dip into doing the secondary playmaking. Like you mentioned, especially too, when he's not having to create out of a, a standstill pick and roll, like he's doing way more, that, that looks effective with with the ball in his hands, attacking, constantly cutting, moving. Um, I've loved it. 
I, I don't know what to think of in terms of like quote unquote ceiling for Kevin Herder. I don't know if this has made me reassess what his ceiling is. Like I think I've always thought like he could kind of step into a bigger role like this if he was featured a little bit more. Um and like you mentioned, I mean, he's shooting almost 50% from three on seven and a half attempts per game. And it doesn't doesn't feel fluky. Like, even if it's going to come down, what, it comes down to 42% on the season? Like, cool. That's still the, one of the best shooters in basketball. Like, um, ironically, he's only shooting 67% at the line this year on a career-high free throw rate, which is – that's what makes it hilarious. But, um, yeah, he's been really impressive this year, man. And he, like, he gets into – he has, like, touch in the mid-range, too. And I think what I'm interested to see is how that can continue to develop out. Like, can he get a little bit stronger? Um, is there a way for him to really develop a more refined floater game? Because um, I, I think that there, that's that's where I'm more interested to see some of that stuff change up. Interestingly enough, he's taken uh, the least – like, if it, I, I feel like this would not be what I would have guessed, but he's had the least uh, – um, self-created twos in his career this season or is on track to in terms of just what percentages like so last year 52 percent of his looks were were assisted on twos. 71 percent have been assisted this year again part of that is the kings are a super heavy ball movement offense which is what really works well for him but um just interesting to see stuff like that like i i couldn't can't i could speak on his game for forever man he's been really fun yeah look i mean they have a lot of ball handlers De'Aaron Fox, Damana Sabonis, Keegan Murray can handle the ball a little bit. Malik mm-hmm. Monk can handle it a little bit. Davion Mitchell's obviously a point guard. Like they, they just have a lot of dudes that can handle the ball. And he's obviously another one of them that can really handle the ball. So he, he's just not asked to do quite as much in terms of like creating his shot and putting pressure on the rim. It's more like they'll run like a two man game and run, uh, all sorts of weird dribble handoffs, try and get him open for three and run him off of like random ghost screens sometimes. So like try and get him open, like slipping, right? Uh, it, it's really, really fun to watch. Uh, the, the beam team is just the best. The beam yes. team is Kings fans are, I say this. Uh, yeah. Like I think Kings fans are my favorite people to interact with on Twitter, man. Like they're just like, I mean, yeah, fans fan, like they, you have an immaculate appreciation for good basketball when your team hasn't made the playoffs since I was in second grade. So, um, yeah, I it's it's been it's been very fun just to watch this Kings team overall. The Beam team, I need them to win. I need them to win as many games as possible. I yes. need them to like make the playoffs. This is like last year. I loved watching the Minnesota Timberwolves, uh, especially by like game thirty-five or so. They were probably like my favorite team to watch in the league. It's immediate this year. Sacramento is yeah. my favorite team, like by far. I watch more Kings games than any other team in the league just because like, I'm like, okay, I have a random time slot where I can put on an NBA game. Yeah, I'd rather just watch the Kings. Like, this is great. Like, I'd rather just enjoy myself watching up-tempo basketball and I'll get a chance to see the team they're playing and we'll go from there. Like, yeah, this team is so good. They're so yeah. fun. They're so enjoyable. I don't know what their ceiling is because I don't know if they can defend anyone, but they're fun to watch, and that's really all I care right now. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, can I actually talk about the Kings for a second? Yes. You wanted to get you yeah. wanted to get some thoughts off of your chest on the Sacramento yeah. Kings. So I, this is yeah. about the Kings and Pacers, which most importantly, so let's look at, look, look at it like this. 
The King so, and, and Pacers. And for what it's worth, I have not watched the Pacers in like a week and a half. So That's Mark okay. is going to go. Mark is going ISO ball here on yeah. the Pacers. I need. I need. Um, to, I just need to talk about this because it's become a talking point uh, the last day or two, and I have thoughts, and I don't feel like writing. So, um, I. Uh, First and foremost, uh, Tyrese Halliburton and De'Aaron Fox, your Eastern and Western Conference Players of the Week. Um, they could not have scheduled that more perfectly or done it in a funnier way. Uh, congrats to both of them. Uh, I just hate that this becomes an immediate relitigation of the trade. Like, <laughs> that's all I saw yesterday, man. And I was like, on one hand, I get it. I understand that people yeah. like to relitigate things and automatically be like, well, who won, who didn't win, like, I think there was an immediate call to be like, oh, well, both teams won. And I think, you know, whatever, you can think that way. There was also an immediate call to be like, well, look at what Tyrese Halliburton is doing this year. Imagine that the Kings just had him. I just, it's never that black and white. It's never that easy. It's never that simple. I think, I do I think the Kings are going to end up like the five seed this year? No, I doubt that happens. Like I would, if that happened, I would be ecstatic. I would go to a, I would I would buy playoff tickets to go watch the Kings in the first round to make the five seed this year. Um, do I think the the Indiana Pacers are going to finish in the fourth seed the way that they have this year? No, I don't think that they should. That's a that's an entire other discussion that I actually probably will write about. But um, I think it's just really important to like, especially part of the reason I love the draft is like why I wanted to talk about Trey because it isn't black and white. Like nothing is ever concrete like that. And I don't mean this to sound like fence sitting or hedgy, but like, can I look at this and blatantly say that I think it sucks to lose out on Tyrese Halliburton? I am higher on T- Tyrese Halliburton than Demonis Sabonis as a player moving forward, without question. Like, I think that that doesn't take a lot of brain power to say that. But I can also look at this and say, okay, if they keep De'Aaron and Tyrese Halliburton together this year, is this going to look the same? Are both guys going to pop in the same way? Is it really going to blow up? And I think on one hand, I wrote this is so it was actually ironically, I wrote a story that dropped an hour before the Halliburton trade happened, saying that I didn't want to see them trade Tyrese Halliburton or De'Aaron Fox. I wanted to see them keep together because there had been yeah. rumblings about one of them being moved. And I thought, you know, very much so at the time, like I want to see these guys play together. I think that there's something there. Um and you can also point out and say, like, they really did struggle to play together at times last year. Like, it never really felt quite right. Um, and part of what makes this interesting is, like, we can do hypotheticals all we want, but what's played out? Like, I think, would I have made that trade in the moment if I was the Kings last year? No, I would not have. I wouldn't have done that. But I can also look and see, okay, if I knew this is what was going to happen this year, I think I would have done the trade, to be completely honest. With where the Kings have been, over the last 18 seasons with what that has been, with what their organization has been. And this is not at all to excuse the faults of an organization, but it's more so like, okay, when you are a team that has for so long been a joke, has not been a viable actual professional basketball team and has really struggled to find something. If you can maximize the Aaron Fox to, to actually be a max level player and look like this and just be a competent organization, to me, that means so much in terms of what they can actually do moving forward. Again, like that doesn't excuse what their past misdoings have been because there are a lot of them. But also, I just think that there's been a little bit too much of underwriting. Everything is like, well, it's, you know, all this to just to make the plan. And I think, yes, we, we will judge and evaluate a trade by what happens over the next three or four seasons. But I do think there has been just a little bit too much of writing off the Kings for me is like, uh, you know, this is, well, yeah, they made a trade and it's working out right now, but 
we'll see what it looks like in three years. Yeah, we will see what it looks like in three years. But I do think it's just hard for me to look at this and not feel like there is some positivity there. So I know that's a really long rant, but um, and that's also to say too, like this was this was a win for the Pacers. Like this trade was immense for them. I also am worried that they are going to stick it out this year. Like I saying worried sounds wrong because like again, I think from a from talking to Pacers fans, from talking to people back in Indiana. They're extremely excited about what this team is doing. This is good basketball. They haven't played good basketball in like three years. Um, and there's been a lot of not fun news lines and headlines coming out of there. But I do generally worry uh, about like, I think to me, watching what this team has done through the first 16 games, what Tyrese Halliburton has developed into continues to look like continues to flash what Benedict Matherin has done in his first year. It makes me that much more confident that this team should be trying to get the best pick possible this year. Like, I'm not saying that you need to blow everything up and quote unquote fully tank, but I think you can still be doing positive things and developing in the right way while also noting, hey, I think we should move on from some of our vets because we need to have another guy in here who is going to help establish us long term. Um, Like, I think I look at this and as much as I have loved Miles Turner's play and what he's doing, I think it would be a mistake to resign him, to be honest. Like, I think you look at what he's brought and he raises the floor because of how good his defense has been. He's fit in really well offensively. Um, I look at this just more so like, I think I am just a little bit worried about buying into what this team has looked like right now. And you kind of do a similar situation to what happened in 2017, 18, when that team was picked to win 34 games, they it's a ragtag group of guys, Victor Oladipo, kind of pops out of nowhere, starts to become the player that I think a lot of people envisioned him when he was picked number one overall. Um, and that team, oh, number two overall, my bad. And the team just really starts to to look good. They win 48 games that year. They they go seven games in the first round. And again, that's not to like get super uh, in, in the weeds and be like, oh, well, you know, they should never have re-signed all those guys. There was a legitimate reason to. Like that team was interesting. You can't account for Vic getting injured the way that he does. Like that... I understand going all in on somebody who made second team all NBA that year. But again, I just think it's more so like if you are a team that has decided we don't want to be that team anymore, then it would be a mistake in my opinion to do some of the same things that you've done in the past. Um, so I know that was so, a really long soliloquy, but yeah. No, 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 no. I, I think that, I think it's all smart and I think it's right. Like for the Pacers, a big part of why they've been able to win games recently, let's say at the very least is because Miles Turner has turned into like an impenetrable force defensively. It's not just that like he is blocking shots and he is very difficult to finish over the top of. It's that he contests everything at the basket. He is contesting 12 shots per 36 minutes at the basket. That leads the league by like leaps and bounds. Like it's crazy how often he is just at the rim. He's playing so hard defensively. He is covering up for everything defensively. He's also a restricted free agent or an unrestricted free agent this summer. He is from, I believe, where is he from? He's from, he's from Dallas area. Yeah. I was going to say, I thought Dallas, here's the thing. The Houston Rockets have a large amount of cap space and there's a very real case for them to sign him just in order to try and shore up what has been a nightmare defensive unit and to try and 
like build with Jabari Smith and build with Jalen Green, having a guy that can step away and space the floor uh, for Jalen Green as a driver for Jabari Smith, for someone like Alper and Shangun. You can play Turner and Shangun together. Theoretically, God, that'd be bad, wouldn't it? Yeah, just no, please don't. The for, for the, I actually, Miles would not the sign there just because of the, the possibility of that happening. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Uh, um, but like, look, like if I'm Houston, like I'm strongly considering Miles Turner this summer yeah. for like $25 million a year. And I don't know if I would do that. Like if I'm Indiana, it's why would you not move him right now when his value is like actually at an all time high? Like that's the thing. Like in terms of play on the court, he's better than he's ever been right now. He might not have the most value he's ever had in terms of getting back assets for him, but you would get back a first round pick. You'd get back a good first round pick and probably like a solid prospect for miles Turner right now. Um, I I think I would rather do that than sign him to a number that would be very high. Uh, There's a lot of other teams that could theoretically have cap space this summer that could very easily make sense for miles Turner. Um, In terms of the Kings stuff, I don't know that I feel the need to litigate the Halliburton Sabonis deal anymore. Like, I I just don't like it. People know where I stand on it. It's fine. Right. Like it's, it's whatever. Like I probably wouldn't have done the deal. Like you said at the time, it's turned out fine. Ultimately, I think that whether or not that deal turns out well or not is going to be entirely dependent upon if the modest Sabonis resigns there like that. That's actually the only thing that matters for that deal. If Demonis Sabona signs there again and signs for four years on top of the two years, it's probably not going to turn out to be a disaster. The issue will be if Demonis Sabonis leaves and they have to start over again. Yeah. Um, look, if you keep playing a fun brand of basketball and you keep winning games, you're going to give them every reason to stay. So yeah, like um, if that, if that, that's the turning point, that's the hinge point on that deal. And we're not there yet. Like we're, we're not to the point where that is a thing. Maybe in the other thing is that his salary is so low that like probably can't sign him to an extension, right? Like it, the number is probably too low to where, what, what is it? You can sign him maybe like 23, 24 in terms of yeah, a number to start. And with the way the cap is exploding, there's no way that he's going to take that. I don't think so. Look, that that's what it comes down to. If you get Sabonis for five years, uh, as opposed to the potential for two and a half, like is what it was, or six years, then you're probably going to come out okay. It, it's still not a deal I would do, but like you're probably going to end up okay. Um, the other hinge point is like, would having Tyrese Halliburton on this roster have stopped you from going out and acquiring Kevin Herter? Like, w- would you have decided not to do that if you already had both backcourt positions filled already? I don't know. Like, I I don't know if they would have or wouldn't have. It's an interesting thought experiment. The, the, like, it was just crazy how low the cost was in terms of assets for someone like Kevin Herter. So maybe they would have done it anyway. And in that case, you have De'Aaron Fox, Tyrese Halliburton, Kevin Herter, which is like the most fun combination in the history of like the NBA to me. Uh, That's an exaggeration, but I love them. (laughs) Um, so, yeah, look, I, I don't know. It's all ifs and ands at this point, and it's not worth relitigating. All that matters is that the Kings are the most fun team in the NBA right now. Yes. And the Pacers are pointed positively, 
and we'll see where it goes with the Pacers. I hope that I, I, I think they're playing a little bit above their level right now. Definitely. Yeah. They've punched above their weight, but it's also like, like this, the way that they're playing right now, like that I'm comfortable saying their offense is a top 10 unit, like moving forward with how well they play with what their personnel is, um, with how good the spacing and just shooting overall is like, I think they just have a defined floor that I think makes it a lot harder to, to get into that top five pick area. So yeah, it's just, again, like basically the, the whole point is just, we just got to see things play out. Like, I, I just, I don't want to do the, I don't want to do the who, who won what already. Like maybe, and again, like both teams win to a different degree, I think is a good way to put it. Like the idea is that this trade is mutually beneficial for both teams in some way, but um, that was enough on that. I just wanted to get that off my chest and I appreciate you letting me do so. Yeah. Okay. More importantly, much more importantly here. It's time. It's Thanksgiving week. You know what that means. It's Mark Schindler food takes time, folks. That's right. We need to have a discussion here. What is on the Thanksgiving table? We we already know that you're going for the collard greens to start. I mean, that's that's the number one option here. But what is on the table for Thanksgiving? What is on the plate for Mark Schindler? Well, yeah, as you mentioned, collard greens. Uh, collard greens are like one of the greatest things ever ever created. Um, I I don't really like turkey. I don't think turkey is very good. We've talked about this before. Um, I will eat the dark meat just because I know that's what we're going to have. Like, there's going to be turkey, so I'll eat the dark meat just because I have to have something. Um, I love sweet potatoes. I do not love the too muchness that people bring to sweet potatoes at Thanksgiving. So the sweetness, like marshmallows and things like that. Yeah, we don't need marshmallows on top of sweet potatoes. Come on, man. Like I'm like I'm adding in some brown sugar and butter. Like, yeah, go go to town. The marshmallows on top is just that's 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 extra, man. I don't, I don't we don't need to do that. It's what desserts for. Um, I will not yuck somebody else's yums, but I I will. Um, uh, what else? Creamed corn, fantastic. Uh, skillet corn, fantastic. So uh, I I've actually never had creamed corn. At I Thanksgiving. love it. It's very good. Yeah, it's uh, just my never been something on the plate. Yeah. Okay. We also we do cream spinach. I like cream spinach. Um, I I like vegetables a lot, which is kind of funny. But um, what else? Like, obviously, going to snag some dinner rolls. Like, who doesn't like a nice dinner roll? Um, most likely crescent. Like, who, crescent rolls are fantastic. It, especially you know, even if it's the Pillsbury crescent rolls. Like, those are those are amazing, man. Like, you can't go wrong. Um, I think mashed potatoes kind of overrated. Um, mashed Redskins or like. Real mashed potatoes are very good, but so mashed potatoes overrated. Uh, is it a thing where they don't have enough flavor? Like if someone does mashed potatoes right and puts in like garlic and a good amount of salt and you know chives, parsley, sour cream, wh- whatever we're going for here, uh, it, do you not like mashed potatoes then? I think it's more a texture thing. Like, I'd just rather have something solid that's not like mush, you know? I feel like you like collard greens. Well, collard greens are different because, like, collard greens are like, I'm like, it's wilted. Like, I should, I know what I'm I'm getting. That's, I feel like that's different because, like, maybe I'm doing too much here, but like, I think not that mashed potatoes are bad. I just think, like, every other form of potato is like superior to mashed potatoes to me. Like I'd rather, well, I wouldn't rather have a baked potato. I'd rather have mashed potato than a baked potato. 
I would definitely rather have like hash browns or home fries or um, don't basketball Jones in the comments. Yes, it is, but also not for my purposes. Um, like I, I don't cream know. corn is mush is what basketball Jones says. Yeah. By yeah. The way. But I, yeah, I debatable, but yeah, I mean, point, point being like, there's it's just, mush with like a textural crunch. There we go. The corn. There we go. Yeah. Um, but yeah, there's just so many better versions of potatoes and mashed potatoes. Like, let's just put some more time in, you know, make it happen. So one thing that my family over here uh, does, particularly my wife, Laura's mom, Helen, will do is like roasted pumpkin or like a roasted uh, sweet potato as opposed to the crazy, you know, mashed sweet potatoes with all sorts of the way to do it. sugar on top. So that that's more the speed you're looking for here. Yes, 100%. That sounds great, actually. Um, like, I love, like, butternut squash, stuff like that. Very good. Um, there's stuff, like, just got to get the natural sweetness out of it. Um, bring it out with flavoring, you know? Um, what else? I'm trying okay, to Okay, so, so speaking of sweetness, let's, let's move on here yeah. uh, to dessert now. So what what are you grabbing dessert-wise? Because I have some concerns on where this <laughs> is going to go based on your lack of enjoyment yeah. of sugar pecan pie and that's kind of it um i don't really mess with i think pumpkin pie is pretty overrated um pumpkin spice also very overrated um i just it's like pumpkin pie is fine um but it's not i don't i just don't think it's what it's made out to be um pecan is just so much better to me like i'd so much rather pecan shot i mean unfortunate for people who have nut allergies i get your, your disdain of pecan pie but um i i think that Pumpkin pie is just like, again, I think it's fine, but pecan texturally is just supreme. The taste is better. Um, yeah. yeah, I, I get it. I, look, as long as we're picking one pie, I was concerned that you weren't going to have any pies. No, here. no, I, I, um, I don't mind pie. Yeah. Uh, I will say, have you ever had pumpkin pie that isn't like the goop that comes out of the can like have you ever had pumpkin pie that like is actual like, oh yeah like i've had like legit okay. legit yeah. pumpkin pie is very good but yeah the goop out of can ugh, no just give me pecans um i don't really like sweet potato pie either that's gonna get me canceled but uh yes i am a blasphemer um as the youtube comments have noted <laughs> um somebody said need some mac and cheese mac and cheese at a thanksgiving table is just kind of wild to me also i just don't think mac and cheese is very good so um that's a that's another thing this is a texture thing with mac and cheese but yeah it's when you let me start to say three or four things in a row that it's problematic (laughs) (laughs) no how do you not like mac and cheese well i'm lactose intolerant but that's also not really great reasoning like i mean it's a good reason to not eat it but like Like, (laughs) yeah there's a shit ton of cream, a ton of milk. Obviously, cheese has like a large amount of lactose. Like, yes, that makes sense. I can get you not liking mac and cheese based off of your own issues in terms of digestion. Yeah. But it is more the texture. Like, I just like it's. Mark, I tried to save you, man. <laughs> the texture on mac and cheese isn't good. I don't really like. New- I mean, we've we've been over pasta and my feelings about Italian food, and I just like. Ah, no, I can't. It's not a thing. 
mac and cheese is good. Uh, you just need to find good mac and like so. Like, have you ever had mac and cheese with um, like crumbs on top of it in some way? Be it breadcrumbs, yeah. yeah. be That's it. Fine. I will say it's be a popular thing recently. Like, yeah, like, I mean, mac and cheese is fine. I should say more. It's mid than it's not good. Like one of the best things I actually ever had, uh, mac and cheese wise, um, whole foods had like a lobster mac and cheese. It was, so it had like lobster andouille sausage, like Cajun seasoning. Oh my God. One of the best thing I ever had. Absolutely terrible for you. But yeah, it was fantastic. But, um, yeah, I just, it's, it's fine. Like it, it just not for me. For the most part, oh, God, uh, I, I don't even know how to follow up with that. Mac and cheese is delicious, Mark. Uh, it's so good. Um, yeah, look, stuffing, mac and cheese. Stuffing's good. Stuffing ham, gets underrated, man. Yeah, I'm more of a ham person than a turkey person. If Same. the turkey is well cooked, then I'm all for it. If it's not, then I have concerns and probably won't eat it. Do you put like, do you do like the sandwich style where you do like the turkey on the roll with gravy and maybe you toss like a little bit of stuff on it? Like, so my food can't touch. I do, especially at Thanksgiving. One of the things that bothers me more than anything else is when I see a family member that just like piles all this shit on a plate. Like, no, you can't do that. You can't do that. It really bums me out. Really bums me out, man. Just like, yeah. Yeah, that's one thing we actually agree on, except for like, I will do, you know, a roll with turkey with gravy. Yeah, like, see, that's, like, that's fine to me. Like that cranberry sauce. But like, why it. is yeah. your salad touching your gravy? Like, why is, why is totally, why are you just putting cream spinach on top of your turkey? Like, why are you, why are all of these things, why is jello next to that? First of all, jello is bad too. But like, why is it next to all that? Why is it touching it? What is going what? on? What? <laughs> I don't like Jello. Gelatin's gross, man. It's weird texture. It's it all comes back to texture with me, man. Like so much of it is texture. Did so I break like, your brain? I feel like I broke your brain a little bit. A little bit. Like you just tossed in Jello is bad. Like out of nowhere, you just taking shots at Big Jello over here. That's right. Uh, the Jello lobby is about to come for our Jello shots are bad show. too, man. Like, geez. I had way too many jello shots in Columbus during my day. And I just don't think that like that. No, is, can you I guess you can just eat rocks for texture? That's fair enough. Uh, Shout out Pimperon in the comments. Just yeah. absolutely eviscerating Mark. Rocks are croutons. If you really think about it, the, the, the croutons of life. <laughs> um, rocks are the croutons of life. That is yeah. accurate. I appreciate that. Um, no, jello is good like look jello is literally just like sugar and gelatin form right like yeah i'm, I'm good with gelatin uh in general but you, you look you're 100 right that you can't over gelatin something like if you make it so that it's like actually hard as opposed so like i'll use gelatin sometimes if i'm trying to get a some sort of tart to set Right. Yeah. See, like that. Uh, okay. That's natural and that's fine. If you were just eating straight up jello, that's whack. I think that's whack. It's weird to me. (sighs) It's just, it's not right. It's like, okay. I saw Flubber as a small child. You know, I think I was probably five or six the first time I saw Flubber. And I just like, that ruined jello for me, man. That movie ruined jello for me. Like, I, I don't think that there's another way to put it. Like, every time that I looked at jello or tried to eat jello, I'm like, I'm eating a, sentient being like this is it's just wild um 
Yeah. So Robin Williams has forever ruined Jello for you. What what is the thing in Flubber, by the way? Is isn't it like it looks like Jello? What is it? It's like some weirdo. Um, yeah. Like it's s- like a rubber substance. Hence yeah, Flubber, it's very right? weird. Yeah. Um. Oh my God! Have you seen the poster for Flubber recently? Let me look it up because I have not. It's a it's a wild ride. Go to the Wikipedia page. Uh, Disney's Flubber. Do you know how did, Flubber made one hundred and seventy million dollars at the box office? That's market. crazy. I've had oh. worse ideas that can make me more money than that. Wow. Okay. Um, wow, that is it, a crazy movie poster. What is going on there? Yeah, Robin Williams's eyes with the goggles are going a little bit nuts. It's it's basically like a bunch of green circles with the flubber thing, and then. Robin Williams is wearing crazy mad scientist goggles. How would you describe the look on Robin Williams's face here, Mark? Uh, is esoteric a good word here? I, like. I would say it looks like he wants to fuck the flubber. It, uh, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. <laughs> um, you know, I was going a little bit more uh, more. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, that's a very good way to put it. Um, yeah. Does, does Robin Williams want to fuck the flubber that is that is actually like a real question for and me now and you know why i don't like jello <laughs> yeah this is why mark does not like jello mark tell the people where they can find your work tell the people what you've got coming this week you can find me on twitter at mg underscore schindler um i probably won't have too much written coming this week i actually did a really fun interview with uh dallas wings point guard veronica burton today that will be out on my podcast feed they've got now tomorrow um we actually had a really fun time we talked to she played in three by three uh for the american national team recently and we had some fun talking about like how different defensive coverages are when you're playing three by three which was really cool because mm. she's one of the best defenders in basketball um so look out for that because that was very fun but other than that i will just be hanging out um i will probably have some stuff randomly pop up that i wasn't expecting to do um but yeah man i'm excited for college basketball we got creighton in arkansas tonight and i am ecstatic uh, i cannot <laughs> wait beauty. that's gonna be such a good game it's in an hour and five minutes ask yeah. me if i'm excited <laughs> That is genuinely the best game of college basketball we've had yet. I really yeah. wish Nick Smith was playing. That would be even better. Um, but yeah, Ryan Kalkbrenner, hot take, Ryan Kalkbrenner is the best player on the court in that game. And I am super excited uh, to Dude, watch him Kalk play. is awesome. Before he got injured last year, that guy, like he hit a, he hit a stride at the end of big, big East play headed into the big East tournament. That was really impressive. Like he was, he was the best player on their team without question. Um, yeah. So yeah, I'm excited. I, I think people don't understand how good he is defensively. Like the two guys that are so drastically underrated across college basketball this season are Ryan Kalkbrenner and Colin Castleton. I was gonna uh, bring him up too. Yeah, dude. Yeah, Cal- I do you like the very random shot? I think Kalkbrenner is a little bit better of a prospect than Castleton. Like they're both actual prospects to me, but like Kalkbrenner is yeah. like I, I just what he does defensively. He's a little bit bigger too, a little bit longer. Like yeah, I see it. I think I would take Castleton because I think okay. he's a much better defender in space. Yeah, but if Kalkbrenner's shooting from distance ends up being a little bit more real than like what I'm thinking it is, where he's you know right now he's shooting like some absurd number. I think he's made like half of his threes so far this season. But like, if the shooting for Kalkbrenner is real, there's like real Brook Lopezy kind of upside there. Um, yeah in a real drop scheme, but with Castleton, he just moves so well away from the basket. He's a great, great, uh, dribble handoff guy. He, yeah. I think can shoot a little bit as well. Long-term. Here's the other thing about Colin Castleton. 
And I'm going to just have to do like Colin Castle's an hour on the podcast. Dude, well, I, invite me. I'll be there. I love Colin yeah. Um, He is the most fucking competitive dude in college basketball. Like he, if you go and watch the Florida State game, I'd implore everyone to go watch that game. I have a download he was, to watch tomorrow. Yeah. He was just out there screaming at all of them. Absolutely just yelling and so pumped. He really wanted to win this game. He's hyper, hyper competitive. I love him. I absolutely love him. These are the kind of guys that end up finding success in the NBA. Guys that love basketball, that want to win, that will do whatever it takes to win. And he's just that dude. I'm an enormous fan. He's averaging 25 points and nine rebounds so far this year with three blocks per game. That won't hold. They've played some bad teams, but they've also played Florida Atlantic and Florida State, both of whom are pretty solid. So, uh, well, Florida State's been pretty bad. <laughs> well, yeah, I was about but, to say, are we sure Florida State's you know, solid? They, they they're at least talented. Yeah. They're at least talented. Um, yeah. Okay. For me this week, I've seen Larry James in the YouTube comments talking, asking where uh, can we talk about the rookies? I have rookie rankings coming tomorrow uh, over on theathletic.com. Have you heard of it, folks? Go subscribe. It's the best deal of the year. It's the Black Friday sale. Go do it. Click the link that I post tomorrow and go subscribe to The Athletic. I might have a top 100 board coming late in the week. It depends on if I can finish it in time. If not, it will be early next week. Until next time, though, we will talk soon.